There's another side to good health, and that's good mental health. Thanks for thanks for joining us tonight, Griffin. It's good good to see you again, man. I know, good to see you, man. We made it. You all right? Yeah, we're we're doing good up here. How about you? I'm doing well. I was just it was coming from the golf course actually. Today's my uh, birthday. Um, oh, is, happy birthday! No way. It's ironic because um, I felt terrible that uh, we got I got everything mixed up on a fa- the family vacation, and then. Um, you sent me those dates. I was like, "Well, that's my birthday, and I'm going to be in St. Louis, but I got to do it anyway because I'm not going to wait too long." So, <laughs> make it oh home. man, well, well, we appreciate you spending time with us this oh, evening on your birthday. Happy for birthday! Real? What? Yeah, thank you. What happy birthday! That is that is a GGT first. Yeah, <laughs> hands down. <laughs> Good. Um, well, just a little little context for for everyone that'll be listening. I met Griffin down at the uh, the the golf digest hot list testing summit where there was 18 of us testing out brand new equipment last, last November. Uh, we braved the, the desert and, and Mesquite, Nevada. And yeah. And, and, and Griff and I were, we're kind of hanging out and, and spent a lot of time together over three to four days. And um, you know, we got to, to know each other a little bit and, and, and talk and we're, you know, it just, it just felt right to, to have him on the show and, and kind of unpack his his golf journey through life. So yeah, we're yeah. we're really 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 happy to have you. We've you know we've had the likes of of Adam from the War on Drugs, uh, Tom McFarland from the band Jungle, uh, Macklemore, and now yeah. Mr. Griffin Wade House, uh, <laughs> musician, singer songwriter, touring artist um, extraordinaire. So we're we're happy to have you here today. Oh, I'm so glad you guys had me. That's that's so cool. But uh, Macklemore, that's interesting. He has. <laughs> Doesn't he have some, uh, like a clothing, go- like a snazzy golf clothing line? He dresses like Snoop Dogg playing golf or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say snazzy is a word. Yeah, um, yeah. 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 It was really funny and really cool and definitely experienced a lot of FOMO watching you and Drew hang out in Mesquite for those, um, the, that series of videos after the fact. I'm curious how your experience there was. Well, I had the best uh, golfing testing partner of all time, so how could it not be amazing? It was we we had blast, didn't we, Drew? It was it was seriously a once in a lifetime thing, and you know if we get invited back, that'd be amazing. But if not, that that's definitely a memory that I'll I'll, I'll have and, and cherish forever. Yeah, I was nerding out the whole time. I just it, I was like, they acted like it was. I thought it was funny because they the whole premise of like. Oh, these these people are going to be struggling hitting golf balls. Thousands of golf balls is like, this is awesome. <laughs> like, yeah. what are you talking about? This is, <laughs> this is I do this for fun. So I had the whole thing was super fun for me. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, like, I, I wanted to know, like, well, yeah, now that we're a few months away from it, and we've we've had time to recover and and you know play some golf after that. What what are your you know what what are your your thoughts of like did did it like help your game at all have you mm-hmm. thought about things differently um yeah, yeah just like, what, what are your thoughts on everything um it did i think it did help me from the standpoint well i did take the little rapsado thing that they gave us and mm-hmm. I, what I, is that it's a um it's a little mini mobile launch monitor that so it's it's what is it like a three, three to $500 little unit that you set up with mm-hmm. your iPhone and you can track oh, your, wow. your ball speed and your launch angle and your, and the little one doesn't do spin rate, but it at least does your, your ball speed and your, the distance. Right. So yeah. it's, it's a, it's a track man at, at a, a fraction of the cost basically. Yeah. Wow. So I started taking that with me and that helped me just figure out, at least have a little bit of a coach there for like, Oh, how are you performing today? Like what's the, what's the speed? What are the numbers? And you know, that's not real golf or whatever. It's just a, it's kind of more of science, but at least helps you um, figure out how you're swinging for the, the day when you're trying to practice, you know? So mm. I, I enjoyed doing yeah. that. And, and also just realizing like how important the equipment is just having the right, shaft and the clubs and and how that can affect your performances i underestimated that i think before the summit so yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I, I took away very similar things. I just enjoyed the process of it um, because it's not something that any any average golfer gets to do. Um, you know, yeah. I'm sure that if you're out on the pro level, if you're a PGA Tour player, you might go through a similar sort of testing where you're trying to figure out like what brand do I want to work with, you know, what clubs suit me best, but for just average players like ourselves. Mm-hmm. you know we we really never get the opportunity to test every single new club right. uh that that's coming out so it was yeah it was it was just really eye-opening to see how much stuff is out there and and how much uh the 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 tweaking small adjustments can make to the golf swing so yeah yeah it was it was like i said it was it was just an honor to to be able to do that and and yeah it was it was honestly it was just fun it we kind of felt like we were kids going to camp and meeting all of these people i mean a lot of the people knew each other since they had been coming to the to the summit for i, I think the one the one one of the people there had been there like 13 years now yeah uh, which is like crazy um to think that they they put themselves through that every single year <laughs> but yeah and and like I, I think too like i i had zero expectations going into it i didn't know what to expect i didn't know really you know who was going to be there uh, I didn't know. Yeah, I, I, I had I had very little expectations. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to make the best of this. I'm sure it'll be a lot of fun. I'm sure it'll be a lot of work. But um, yeah, it was it was definitely better than I than I could have imagined. Yeah. Before that weekend, Griffin, what was the most amount of balls that you'd hit in one session? Like, was that experience a, a shock to the system, both like physically and mentally, I guess, too? Not really. And I, I, I don't want to. I, I don't want to say that in the wrong way, but I mean, I guess I, I was pretty hardcore with the way that I played and practiced as a kid and uh, in mm. several parts of my life. And so that was just, um, like I said before, like I just thought it was fun. Like I would have stayed there twice the amount of time and kept going. Um, wow. I would have just kept hitting. I want, I didn't want to stop. I was like, give me more clubs. I'll, I'll hit a few more balls. I wanted to start hitting as soon as we got there. I didn't want to wait. <laughs> You're like, do you want me to uh, give last year's models a test too? Do you want me to just like run through 2019, 2018? No, I think I, I like, I relate to, um, I mean, some of my, the people that I've listened to are like hearing old stories and legends about people like uh, Ben Hogan or Lee Trevino or just people like that loving hitting tons and tons of balls. I, I get that and relate to it. And I find like, I can, I can lose myself in that process in a way that feels really therapeutic for me. So, um, I, I felt like the whole thing was like one giant therapy session. <laughs> this is great. Yeah, man. I can, I can attest to, to what Griffin said. He, that man, he didn't stop. He, he, he was out there. Uh, you also, I will say one thing that that was extra, extra intense. You, you don't, you don't wear a golf glove on either hand. No. What? This man, what? this man wore no glove, and I at the at the like the last day, my because I, I wear a glove like on my my left hand and on my right hand, I had tape on every single finger, and this this man over here wore no glove on either <laughs> hand. That is, and it was crazy, insane, Griffin. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess I so you're a guitar player, so you have some pretty good calloused hands, I imagine. Only right? on the tips, but the different, right? I guess, different, yeah. yeah. Different, yeah, you're, yeah, you're different calluses, fingy pads on this one. The I was trying to tell the story of, um, like Ryan was, I don't think it made it in the film or the uh, or the little clip that they made, but that basically happened because my dad gave me a, an allowance as a kid and I would practice and play all the time, you know, from like sun up and sundown. I didn't have the money to buy a glove, so I would just skip it because they were so expensive. So I didn't have the money to buy a glove like every week because if I would have used the allowance for the glove, I would have been buying one like every single week. And I didn't have that money. So I'm gonna skip it. And then at some point I got confirmation where it's like, oh, Freddie Couples doesn't use a glove. I don't need a glove. Oh, then I found out Ben Hogan. Yes, there you go. Got to find someone who can uh, give you the confirmation bias. I really like what you said about the range sessions and the practice sessions being therapeutic or maybe even mm-hmm. meditative. I'm curious, like, what does that process give to you? What can you describe? Like, 
what sorts of things you're thinking about or feeling when you're in a hour to two hour practice session? I'm not thinking about anything other than what I need to do to improve getting that ball where I want it to go and how to like hit it, hit it pure and hit it where I, you know, the type of shot that I want to hit. And there's no other part in my life where I can find that kind of concentration that is that freeing. Like you can put me in yoga class and I'm, I can think about a thousand other things while I'm trying to do these poses. Like, I think that's what it's meant to accomplish, but for whatever reason, it doesn't work for me. But for some reason, being on the golf course and um, playing golf or, you know, playing 18 or playing by myself or hitting balls, I just disappear into this like translate like state that is, I feel like so good for my mind because I, I emerge from it feeling refreshed and rejuvenated and kind of reset. So. Yeah. That sounds like real mindfulness. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm envious of that range sessions for me have always felt like work Yeah, (laughs) and I don't want to be here. I just want to play. (laughs) So I need to, I, I need to establish more of a, um, a freedom to that experience. Well, there's always something like I'm also the type of person that will just like tinker around at home and kind of I'll have a club in the living room and a club in the bedroom or a club outside. And I'm always looking for something like one little extra trick to help with Mm. what I'm wanting to do. And then sometimes I'll find something and I'll go, I haven't thought of that before. I wonder what's going to happen if I try to implement that out there. And then, and then you have like a, a thousand things that you want to try out and try to improve on. And so I try to use the, I find like I never have enough time when I'm on the range to do those things. And I wish I had a thousand different things at the range, like mirrors. Like I always want a mirror behind me and I never have one. I want one right here behind me to my right side so that I can see what's happening. And probably a video camera would help me as well. But um, that's why the Rapsod has kind of been neat to have, you know, because I can at least see some stuff and get some feedback. Yeah, I was just saying, it's, it's kind of crazy how much technology has changed over the years from, mm-hmm. you know, even maybe 10 years ago when that was not readily available for people. And now, like you said, I think it's like three, four hundred dollars, mm-hmm. which is, you know, considering if you bought a track man, it's, it's twenty thousand mm-hmm. um, dollars, which is, you know, pretty much not attainable for any average golfer that wants to go out and, and just learn. Right. Um, you yeah. know, basically the, the cost of a driver, you can have that equipment uh, and technology that can, that can really, you know, help out, help out your game. One thing that I was curious about that I don't think we ever, we really touched on when we were down uh, in Nevada together was what came first for you? Was it golf or was it, was it music? Oh, it was, oh, it was definitely golf. I didn't start playing guitar till I was 18. Oh, wow. I gave up golf and I didn't give up golf for music, but consequently, I, I gave up golf. I had a scholarship offer to uh, play at Ohio University. And for a, a several reasons, I just decided to go another way. And I ended up going to Miami University, decided not to play college sports and um, learned to play guitar there. And I ended up in a band and I ended up an English major and I ended up writing songs. And then I ended up making my own record and then I ended up doing music for a living, but, um, the first 18 years of my life were, you know, mainly golf was my main thing. I think that's been a common theme and, and sentiment with a lot of our guests that we've had, uh, not just, not just the, uh, ones that are professional musicians, but folks that, you know, might've de- dedicated a lot of their, their childhood and young adult life to improving at a game and, um, for various reasons, people fell away from the game. Um, and I think for, um, since you don't know Brad and Connor that well, uh, we all three of us played Division Three golf at, at one point in our lives and and post-college uh, just for, for various reasons all took some time off and mm-hmm. um, and then all, all came back to the game for other reasons. So I, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's kind of cool that to see that that's, it's, you know, for me, I, I thought it was just me. Like, I'm like, you know, because a lot of my friends that I know here locally in Wisconsin or, or, or teammates that I had, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't stop playing, you know, they played college right. golf and then they were, you know, avid golfers afterwards, post-college. And I thought I was the strange one that I was like, you know, 
for 10 years of my life, I played maybe 10 rounds of golf, um, mm -hmm. which is kind of crazy considering how much I, I loved it as, as a kid in, in high school and, and college. So I, it, it's really good to know and very, you know, maybe therapeutic and cathartic to know that there are other people that, that took some time off and, and, and came back. And, and I hope that, uh, the, the people are listening to are, are able to, to, to know that it's, you know, it's, it's maybe it's good, a good thing to come, to take time off and come back and, and, and view it through a new, a new set of eyes and, and as a, as a different person than you were when you were first playing it. Yeah, it, it has been for me. I mean, I, I, I basically wanted, I was so burnt out that I couldn't stand the thought of having to constantly feel bad about myself every time I played bad or didn't live up to my own expectations. And to me, it was like so refreshing to think if I go to this other school, I can completely reinvent myself and I don't have to be carry any of the yeah. previous baggage that I had before. I can be an entirely new person. No one cares. Um, I have none of this pressure on me. And it was really nice. I was, and I also was having a discussion with my friend on the way back to the house today. I was like, you know, these two things, like I played golf today. And it, it's a completely objective sport where it's like, you just have, you have mm -hmm. a number on the card. And then I do this thing now where it's like, there's something about it mentally where the performance aspect is almost similar because of the concentration part of it. But what I do now is very subjective compared to the pure objectivity of, to golf. And so that's kind of interesting. And I, I think it's, it was almost, it cr created a lot of freedom to do something that could be interpreted and have style points to it rather than, you know, just hit the number. So how did it feel to, to take that hiatus then and, and not carry around all that baggage? Did that, was that freeing for you? And, you know, if so, I guess I'm, I'm curious about what kind of pressure you did put on yourself when you were playing, when you were younger at the, mm. at the junior level, um, you know, you mentioned not being happy with yourself if you played bad and, and that's natural obviously, but I'm curious what sort of self-talk you grew into a pattern and it was really freeing for me to quit, just walk away and not have that pressure anymore. It was, I never knew if I would even care about playing at all again. In fact, like when I kind of walked away from it, I was like, I'm going to be an artist now. I'm going to be a musician. I, I just, I didn't think I'd ever even walk back into the, the world of golf in any way, shape or form. Um, because I didn't realize at the time, like what a, what an integral part in my childhood and my, in my youth it was and how much about it that I actually loved from a really pure place and, and, you know, that didn't have anything to do with competition. But um, I guess I put, I guess I felt an intense amount of pressure as a, as a kid to perform because I always felt like, well, I never felt like I was living up to my potential. I always felt like I know I'm capable of doing this. I know I'm capable of sh shooting these, these scores because I have shot them many times. And then I'd get in the, the moment where it mattered and it'd be one, one round that you needed to do. And I would like, I would just put too much pressure on myself and I would choke or not play well. And then I would be really, I would beat myself up and be really down on myself and not understand why I couldn't do something that I knew I could do in any, on any other day. So that was, um, I feel like there's something wrong with me mentally or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough place to be. And I think that's, uh, that is something that some people are, are able to like compartmentalize those thoughts mm -hmm. somehow, you know, I, I, you know, look at guys like Tiger or, you know, Michael Jordan, and it's like they're the ultimate example of people that can put aside any sort of personal or anything that's going on, and they can just like find that zone somehow. Um, mm -hmm. But that's obviously very rare, and I don't think I'm not even sure if that's healthy, you know, to to be able well, to to do that. <laughs> it's interesting you make that point because it did seem. Like even that person that you mentioned was able to do that for a certain amount of time. But what happened when his life fell apart and um, the media started going after him and the whole world came down on him and you had this giant like fall from grace. And then all of a sudden it didn't seem like he was able to compartmentalize that anymore. It's like yeah. he 
he couldn't play well anymore. He was falling apart in front of everybody's eyes. And it was like, oh, he's human. And, yeah. you know, that is, I think that's almost golf in a nutshell because it's like totally. that happened to the greatest player in, on, on planet Earth, right? Right, right. I mean, I, I think there's an argument to be made for that for sure. Golf is so weird, man. It's it because it is like it, you know even the handicap system, right? We we've talked about this a little bit on this podcast. It's like it's not your average; it's your potential. It's like who mm-hmm. are you on your best day? And I mm-hmm. feel like that is so easy to get in your head. Of I've done this before. I've shot seventy two before. Therefore, I should be able to shoot it every time. Mm-hmm. Which is such a farce because it's a game of millimeters. It's a game of one degree angles it's a it's it's a it's um a fickle fickle being and so mm-hmm. it gets very very easy and one that is controlled you know 90 percent of the time by the mind yeah and it's very very easy to for that to get out of control and for the train to get off the tracks at the end of the hiatus when when did that period end for you and what made you come back to it came back slowly like in just a fun way where I was probably back in town and played golf in like a best ball or something at my place where I grew up playing and probably hadn't played in 10 years and, you know, probably, probably shot a 72 or a 74 or something and beat everybody and took all the money and, and thought I'm actually pretty good when I don't think about this, you know, and then I was like, oh, it could be fun, I guess, you know, if I just, if I just didn't care. And I think because the, yeah because I knew that there was no more competition anymore. There was no more tournaments. I didn't have to have the pressure of any of it. Um, I was able to start having fun with it. So how long ago was that? And what has the, you said it, it you said it was sort of like a gradual comeback, but a long um, time ago. I mean, I don't, I think it was like, it was pretty much post college. I mean, I probably only played a handful of times that, you know, when I, when I left and went to a different college, I played, handful of times recreationally for no good reason other than to just mess around and then something happened to me like after I'd made three or four records and I was touring a lot and I had had some success in the music business and I was like really it was clear that that was my going to be my career path and something happened where I had like an oh shit moment where I was like maybe I should have taken that golf scholarship because hmm. I, I actually do really love golf. Oh my God. Did I make the wrong decision? And I started hitting balls all the time. I started practicing a lot and I started shooting insane scores, like scores I'd never shot before in my life. And I was like, what have I done? <laughs> what, did, what did I do? Maybe I need to go this way. And, um, and that helped me like find it again. I mean, I, I kind of realized pretty quickly that I couldn't really, there was no way to actually make that a reality because I made money and I made a career at, at playing music. <laughs> and it was going to always probably just going to be a pipe dream, but um, I did play in a few tournaments here and there just for fun. Um, so, I mean, I feel like, yeah. I feel like being a touring musician is almost one of the ultimate uh, like, jobs to have if you're a golfer because you're able mm-hmm. to uh, obviously tour for your work and and to to um you know to be able to bring some joy into people's lives but also you're you're traveling all over the country bring your golf mm-hmm. clubs along with with the guitar and <laughs> yeah. and you can kind of make the most of it there i think i just enjoy it so much more now without the i watch these guys every week and I almost feel bad for them because it's, I mean, I don't feel bad for the guys that are killing it and making millions of dollars, but I feel bad for the guys that are like almost there and just like, can't quite break through. And they're as good as everybody else. Mm. Um, but they're just like struggling to make it. And I yeah. relate to that so much. And I'm like, I, I know that I would be one of those guys. Like I know that I would never be, if I, if I could ever get that good, I always know that I'd be the guy just like struggling my ass off instead of the guy that was just cruising all the time. So I'm like thankful now that I can enjoy golf and I don't have to worry about making a living at it. And I don't have to worry about um, 
just that pressure. And I don't even have to worry about my score all that much. I mean, I like, it's fun. What's more fun than shooting a low score, but like today I had like a couple shots that were just like made the whole round worth it, you know? And, and I, I can just go, Oh, I'm going to remember those two shots that I had that were just so awesome. And I don't really, that's what I take away from the round now. And that's, that's what makes it fun. You know, um, even though I still obviously want to play good, but we started the, the show talking a lot, like a lot of stick talk. We talked a lot of golf talk, uh, in the, in the very beginning, but I'm thinking about these two shots, you know, that you had in your latest round, you know, what talk to us about it, dude, these two, I think I hit two of the best three woods in my life. I don't even like this club in my bag. I'm like, it's probably nobody likes club. that club. <laughs> I, I, I'm like, so I had a, I was on a crate. The ground was really wet where we were today. So the ball was not, the driver was not uh, rolling at all. So on a, on the first par five, I had like uh, a 254 yards into the hole and I had to kind of like bend it around this tree. And I hit a three wood to 12 feet. Mm. And um and it was so solid. It was just like per- it was perfect. And my, my buddy's like filming it in the air, and he's looking at it. And he's like, "Holy <laughs> shit!" Like he's like, crazy, and he's looking back at me like, "Ah!" And uh, that's the shot that'll keep him coming back. <laughs> so I didn't make the eagle, and I was bummed out about that because I, I looked back at him. And I was like, "That was one of the best. That might have been the best three I've ever in my life." And then the second to last hole of the round, I have another one straight into the teeth. This is like, by the way, I understand this. If this wasn't a golf podcast, this would be the most annoying, boring thing. When someone's talking about the shot in the round, it's like, no one wants to hear this shit. Shut up. (laughs) So I have some follow-up questions. It's all all relevant. You asked asked for it. Um, So the second three would, it was almost like identical. It was like straight into the wind. 245 yards hit this thing to like eight feet and it was, it was all carry and I made the putt for Eagle. And it was like, we just laughed and it was like, it was made it all worth it. I didn't shoot, you know, my best score, but that made me really happy to have uh, just a couple really pure shots. You know, they were like two perfect shots in one round. It was great. I can't speak to having multiple Eagle putts in, in, in a round. I, I've got one in my life and that was one of the happiest I've ever been on the golf course. Yeah. Like, like there's nothing leaping out of my skin, you know, like, oh, like mm-hmm. six year old playing in the, in the ball pit at McDonald's kind of, mm-hmm. kind of fun. You know what I mean? So like, so when you hit it, cause it sounds like you got the joy out of, just hitting the shot, you know, like just hitting the shot. Okay. Where where in your life off the course can you kind of replicate that that level of joy, that level of like happiness, that that spike of adrenaline, of joy, of of bliss. Oh <laughs> well I I always feel I feel when I play a really good show and I know um I know that I did well and I get good feedback from the audience. I always feel amazing. And it's, um, that's almost even more meaningful because you're not, it's not just you alone where you want to like tell somebody about your three wood that you hit around a tree out of the green to five. Because you're actually other, it means something to other people and it's doing something for them. You're actually, you're giving something yeah. where, you know, it, it, it brings meaning and joy and, and purpose and healing to their life. And that's kind of really talking about it to you guys helps me because it makes me realize like, it's, Oh, it's actually about a thousand times more valuable for this person because who cares about my freaking three wood, but (laughs) they do care about the song that helps them and means something to their life, you know? And, uh, so it, it's good for me to realize that I never want to play these shows, by the way. I'm always nervous. I'm like, I don't want to do it. I feel like really? it's hmm. really hard. And then I'm always really, really happy afterwards. Hmm. So so if the three wood is the shot, what's the song that you wrote, that you perform, 
that you know is just that that connection from you to your audience? Mm. It's more like um, it's more like the whole body of the of work that I have, or there, I would say there's probably. 20 or 30 of songs that do mm. that. And it's more about, <laughs> he said, all yeah, he <laughs> said, Google me. I love that. <laughs> I the song, but what, what I'm, the point I'm trying to get at is that it's kind of less about the song and more about, um, my connection in real time to the, the audience mm. in, mm-hmm. at the show. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, like, while I'm, there's some weird synergy that happens with, uh, telling stories about the songs and talking to the audience and getting to know them in real time and then playing the song on top of it. That's almost 10 times more powerful than them hearing the songs like on the radio. Yeah. You know, that's true. But it makes a big difference. I think in, in a live setting because there's a human connection that happens in the, yeah, in the it's fashion. you and them. Yeah. yeah. That's beautiful. I, I remember watching because as soon as the golf digest videos came out, I poured through them. I was like, hold everything. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm flipping through, but you know, there were, there were a couple of moments. They show you with your guitar, you know, everybody's sitting, sitting around the fire at the end of the day out by the fire. Yeah. yeah. So like, were you taking requests? Were you, did you just whip it out and like, all right, this is what's happening right now. Y'all in for a show. What was that environment like? Uh, the fireside thing was we just set that up to have a little mini concert for everybody kind of at the end of the day. And I had just made a new record and I had a, a bunch of fresh new songs on my mind. And I had one called the Mississippi Hippie that <laughs> ironically ended with a verse about Tiger Woods. <laughs> because it got cut, but it, I, I wrote it. Um, like 10 years ago after Tiger had been through his huge like debacle and, and the whole, the reason that he made it into the song is because the song is called, it was for a project called somewhere in Mississippi. And I had read in the news that he had been to some sort of rehab in Mississippi. Mm. So it made it into the song simply because the song was called somewhere in Mississippi. And so uh, I had no idea that I would, you know, 10 or 12 years later, be playing this song at a Golf Digest summit, but it worked pretty perfectly for the moment. And like Stina was just there, like shaking her head, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. this looks too much. Wow. This, this, so. this, the song, the, that, that, that verse isn't going to make the final cut, but you can listen to it on, on Griff's new album. <laughs> That's right. No, when I That's really yeah, when funny. I when I saw that when, when uh, your, your, your new album showed up on my Spotify, I was like, Mississippi Hippie, first track. I was like, I, I I heard him. I heard that live. That was, that was pretty <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so you you mentioned you know growing up playing a lot of successful junior golf and then going through a hiatus period and then getting back into it. I'm curious with all of our guests who play golf at a young age and then stop and then get back into the game. If you could play a round of golf with a younger version of yourself, maybe that that junior competitor who's putting a lot of pressure on himself and holding himself to a high standard of, of play. If you could play a, go- a, a round of golf with that version of you, what do you think the, the conversation would look like on the course? Mm. I would, I think I would say something like you're so much better than you think you are. And you can, you, you have any of these shots in your, in, in your hand at any moment you just have to you have to believe that you deserve deserve it mm. you know mm. like you you need to believe that you deserve this shot to land on the green close to the hole you deserve to have the putt go in the hole and you deserve to win this tournament because you love this game as much as anybody else does so why not mm. you and i think i was just too um i didn't have a strong enough voice and i hesitate to say parental voice because i don't want that to sound like i'm ragging on anybody in my family but i think i needed a bigger voice in that kid's head to say you can do it you can definitely do it if you want to yeah Hmm. 
And that, I think if I could go back and parent myself in that way, that could be pretty, pretty cool. Be pretty powerful. Yeah. And I was going to ask, does any of that translate to off the golf course as well? I mean, you said you're, you're good enough for this. Like, were you, were you equally as hard on yourself off the course as well? No. Cause I think, I think golf was kind of my life when I was a kid. I think everything revolved around my performance out there to, to mm. all, you know, it was like everything's kind of centered around that. I, I literally, I think I, there were times when it just felt like my whole self-worth was based on how I played that day. And I became aware of that at a certain point and I, and I thought, well, this isn't cool. Like, I don't want to have to feel like I can't have a good day, feel good about myself unless I perform well. And I knew that was not right. So I didn't know how to fix that. Hmm. Um, and I didn't have anybody to help to show me how to fix that. So I had to figure that out for myself. And that kind of performance self-worth has followed me along in life, you know, for a long time. And some of it's positive and some of it's not positive, but I think thankfully I'm, I'm at a point in my life now where I'm able to, I'm actually able to be that person that you're talking about where Hmm. the guy can like come in and talk to the younger self and say, Hey, this is what's up. You just need to, you got to get, get perspective here and like get real and realize what's actually going on. And that's beautiful, man. I mean, it's pretty, especially on a day like today. I mean, this is your day. What, what, a what, a a beautiful gift to yourself to be able to revisit and, and parent yourself a little bit. Like so much of what we do on the show is like, is that, that work, that time travel, that, that, um, yeah. Spending time with the younger self. I walk by, um, a mural to Virgil Abloh every day. And it says, everything that I do today is for the 17 year old version of myself. If there, I think if there's something that we can do for whatever age, I, I, I've got to imagine you're pretty young when you first start playing golf, but whatever that age is, like if you can do something every day for that kid, like, and take it, in the context of the show, we talk about on the golf course, but if you could, if you could actually do that, take that with you on the golf course and tell yourself when you're about to hit that three wood, you deserve to land this on, on yeah. the green. But Watch yeah, this. you're good yeah. enough. You're good enough, Griffin. Yeah. You can do it. Yeah. 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 I think that's just like a, a beautiful gift you could give to yourself today, man. Like lo- love on that kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, what's so magical is like when you, it's one thing to like to have the positive self-talk, but when you sit back and you realize like, oh, I actually had all the good thoughts I was supposed to have. And then it actually worked. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty fun. Yeah, man. What, yeah. what if, what if it's crazy enough to work? What if it does, you know, what if I do hit the center of the face? <laughs> And if you don't fuck it, throw another ball down and hit it again. Yes. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Yo, that second ball player B. Yeah. It, player player two shows up. Yeah. I heard something else that was really interesting though, um, and not about hitting hitting the, doing the do over shot, but almost like you have no idea what's going to happen in golf because how many times do you hit that perfect shot in the middle of like position A in the fairway? And then something messed up happens with your easy approach shot and you end up with a bogey. Whereas like you hit some crappy drive in a bad spot and then you hit it, you hit a good <laughs> shot the green, you end up with a par or birdie. And you just, you don't know what's going to happen based off like where you start. So mm-hmm. that helped me a little bit too, where I, I started to think more about like, well, you don't really know how this hole is going to turn out. You kind of just have to hang in there until the end. And that's, that's pretty interesting. Dude, honestly, and, like, fairway 140 out is a scary place for me to be i i like i get terrified there i'm like what if i fuck this up what if i blow it what if i yeah what if, you, what if I, I miss I'm the not green used yeah. to this. no yeah I mean, like, they go I come for me this, i spend so much of my life in the pine straw <laughs> i spend so much of my life in the fescue that it's just like i don't that's i, I don't that's i don't belong here yeah You're right yeah. i'm a, i'm like a weed monster so you can 
figure out how to get out of the shit and make something beautiful out of it. He said, we will have no business in the middle of the fairway. Yeah. 140. Yeah, yeah no you're right. Business in the middle of the fairway. <laughs> the, some of the thoughts that come in my mind, I'm you, you are right. Cause I'll be like, they're about to, they're about to come cart me away. Like they're about to yes. find out I suck. <laughs> that, I'm about to be exposed right now on this shot. Wow. Well, yeah. 140 yards in, I have a nine iron in my hand. I should be able to hit this green, but I'm not yes. going to. Yeah. And my life is over. <laughs> and then you're going to get encircled and they're going to be like, we know. Yeah. We know we, you're terrible. We know you're trash. He's a fraud. That's it. Fraud. Get this man out of here. That's it. <laughs> this man's not a golfer. It's that distance. It's it's 140 mm. yards. Yeah. It's like because it's it's that it's still like a full swing, mm-hmm. but it's not it's not like a seven iron or six iron where it's like anything can happen. Yeah, you know, it's like it's, if you hit a nine, a full a full nine or a full pitching wedge, it's like you should hit, you should probably you hit should the green. hit the green. You should probably hit the green, and then when you don't, you're like, fuck. You're like, well, I what am so I doing much, here? Then totally, I would so much rather be coming out of the rough from like. 180 than 140 Yo, in the fairway. How are there less nerves over that shot than the shot that you should give yourself every time? Fear of loss, loss aversion. It's mm. like there have been studies put out about that. We, we in golf specifically that like standing over a five foot birdie putt, you're less likely to make that than you are a five foot par putt because you're scared of making a bogey. But mm. you like if you going for birdie, you're like uh, like. You barf all over yeah, yourself. You, you, you like you, yes. you like you, you glitch. <laughs> you yeah. throw up on your shoes. Yeah. <laughs> Loss aversion. I, I I'll agree though though. Um, I don't think there's any better feeling than like peering a three wood from the fairway. I think that's the best feeling because it's so hard. Oh, here he is. Okay. I wish I could tell you what I, I that I remember what that feels like. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't. I got nothing. I don't even have. I don't carry a three wood in my bag. I I have a four wood. I was gonna say before you <laughs> dropped that like beautiful self growth knowledge on us. I was like, playing on your birthday is kind of a risk. No, it's like you could go out there and have a terrible day and like be really upset at yourself. But it sounds yeah. like you've gotten in the place now where you like it's never gonna be a bad day when you're out on the golf course. If I start playing bad enough, I just decide I'm not gonna keep score mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. yeah. I just kind of let myself. Same hang out with my buddy, but I was with a good friend today and um, he treated me to a round at his club and it was going to be a good day no matter what. So yeah, that's what's up. I didn't, that's I didn't very nice. I hadn't played in a long time. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to shoot today, but I was just happy to hit a couple of good shots. Do you go music? Yes or no on the golf course? No. Interesting. Every, every musician that we've spoken to has no said music, that. Yeah. That's really funny. Is it an active choice or do you not think about it as you're you, you packing up the bag, the shoes? You're just making sure you have the essentials. You're not really checking for the speaker. I didn't grow up listening to music on the course. And so it's not something that I even think about. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily something I want to be distracted by that. I feel like I like the quiet. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think when I'm playing shows all the time too, often when I'm driving my gigs, I won't even turn the radio on. Mm, right. Peace, you know. You just hear music all day. You're like, yeah, everybody every shut yeah. up. Yeah. yeah. Stop. <laughs> Stop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. That, 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 uh, that, that, that checks out. That checks out. Um, since, since golf has, has maybe more recently become a, a happy place for you. And since music is your profession, do you have like what's your happy place outside of those two uh, two things? Just being with my kids and my wife and my dog, it's taken me. I mean, my kids have always been from the moment that my first daughter was born. It was the happiest place I could really imagine. Um, it blew something open inside myself that helped me be a lot less selfish than I already was, which was a lot. Mm. (laughs) And it helped open my heart um, in a way that was um, really beautiful. And I've been married for 12 years. I have two kids and, and 
a dog and, and my wife and I have done a lot of really hard work together to um, keep our family and our marriage together through a lot of um, life and childhood trauma that we've both experienced. And it would have been really easy to like walk away and not make it work. And I think we're finally like coming to a place in our life where we're uh, experiencing a lot of peace and joy through just being able to be a, a family. So I experience a lot of, uh, we've done a lot of hard work, I think is what I'm saying. And yeah. it's starting to, after like 12 years, being able to talk about things like, you know, parenting yourself, which is, it's funny that it came up on this golf podcast, but, um, doing things like that and then watching that pay off in real time in a way that helps us kind of give and, and receive love to one another is, is pretty powerful. So that's beautiful. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's really beautiful, man. I mean, I, I think that's the thing, like when you're, in, when you're, you're in a relationship with someone that you love, um, it, it is, it is an effort. It is hard work. Um, and, and I think you, you get what you put into it. Um, and yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, and, and especially, you know, once you, you bring, uh, you know, children into the world together that it, it, it changes everything too. Um, it definitely makes things more challenging, but like you said, it's I, I, having kids and being a, a parent myself of, it, it definitely unlocks something in you that I don't think a lot of people know that they have until you have kids. So yeah, that's, that's really beautiful to hear you say that. Yeah. Mm. That's, that's a bar. It unlocks something for, for the question for the two resident parents. What was the superpower that was unlocked after you had kids? Start with the birthday boy. I can't describe it. I think it was a um, combination of being so unprepared for the responsibility of fatherhood and also having a child wasn't something that was really planned by my wife and I, we were at a tumultuous point in our life because we got married really fast and I didn't know what kind of father I was going to be able to be, especially because I traveled and played music for a living and toured all the time. And I wasn't, our, our marriage was, um, a little shaky at the time probably. And then when this child came out and was born and came out into my arms, I remember like saying a prayer or something. I was like, well, I climbed a tree in this field and I was just like, I think I just said some prayer, like, God, please help me be a good parent to this, this person that's coming into the world. Wow. And then when she was born into my arms, it was like this, these floodgates just opened in my heart. And I was there, like I, the, Emma came into my arms, I cut the umbilical cord with it. My wife had a natural childbirth. So to hold this being was like witnessing one of the great mir- miracles of the universe that you, you only, it's, it's, it's the most powerful thing you can possibly witness mm-hmm. as a life. It's a, just a total miracle to, to observe. And then to think, wow, this is, we just made this life happen and I, I have to take care of this being <laughs> and it's just overwhelming sense of love and joy, you know, that is, uh, I've never done, um, all these psychedelics that are becoming like so popular now, but people like talk about how it just like blows your mind open and makes you realize that everything's connected and we're all just loving beings. And, um, that was, it was kind of a psychedelic experience for me. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, well, it's, yeah, it's my mind. It's wow. it sounds like a complete explosion of ego of self. Yeah, yeah, it really was. That is incredible. Yeah, wow. Yeah, man. And, uh, and and Drew for for your mm-hmm. um, your experience, you know, father the father of two. Yeah, what was the superpower that was unlocked? Man, I I think. There is, there's nothing that you can read or learn or any, <laughs> and there's nothing you can do to prepare yourself to become a parent. Um, and for me, it was, you know, I, we weren't that young when we had kids and, and uh, my wife and I were married for a while, quite a while before we decided that we wanted to have kids. So it wasn't, you know, I wasn't like 22 years old having a, having a kid 
and for the first time, like I was a, an adult and I still felt like I was just so ill prepared to be a parent and like be responsible for, for another person. Uh, and, and I think maybe part of it too was because I'm, I'm an only child. So I didn't have siblings growing up. I didn't have, mm. I didn't have, I, I, I had never changed a diaper honestly before, before mm. my son was born. So it was just, I'm like, you know, I'll, I'll figure this out. Like everyone, you know, the people, people do it. Cause you got to, <laughs> because right? you got to. Yeah. Um, but I think yeah. the, I think maybe the superpower that mm. came out of it was realizing how, how selfish I was, even though I didn't think that I was a selfish person. I was like, I'm not, I'm not a selfish person. And then once you have a kid, you're like, Oh, like, nothing that you do is for yourself anymore. Like, it, it, you know, your kids come first <laughs> yeah. for everything. So, uh, but I would, I mean, I don't, I don't even know what the superpower, I guess. Yeah. Like somehow the, that loss, like, like Connor said, like a, a loss of ego and, and, and not mm-hmm. putting yourself first in, in the decisions that you make, even decisions for yourself, you still put your kids first because their needs come yeah. before your own. Um, and, and maybe that, it's the realization that, you know, yo, everything I'm doing is literally for this kid now. Yep. Maybe that's maybe that's the power that y- you didn't know you had the selflessness in you. Yeah. Uh, or maybe yeah. the superpower yeah. is is uh, learning how to change a diaper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to say maybe I, I I think maybe th- this is maybe more profound, but it, I, it wasn't something that I I I learned about myself. But it was that you owe your kids everything and they don't owe you anything. And I think that was something that I, that was like mm-hmm. really like mind altering. Cause I feel like as a kid, I always felt like I was, and maybe most kids do, you feel like you're kind of like in service to your parents. Like you like, man, I owe them everything. Cause they, mm-hmm. they, they do everything for me. They, they brought me into wow. the world. Yeah. You know, I need to do, I need to get good grades. I need to, you know, stay out of yep. trouble because I, you know, I, sh- I should owe them everything. But in as a parent now, I realized they don't owe me anything. Mm-hmm. I I owe them every. I I need everything I do is for them, but they don't owe like that. That the that, that, that's not a two way street. That doesn't need to be reciprocated. So yeah, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that, and and, may, and maybe not all parents feel that way. Uh, but I that's how I feel, and I think that's you know how how we're we're raising our children and. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess that's kind of like really freeing knowing that uh, I'm for real writing that down, bro. <laughs> like that was, yeah, I love that. <laughs> uh, but that, I, th- I feel like that's like kind of freeing as a, uh, as a parent knowing maybe not free, maybe it's maybe, maybe that makes you sad. I don't know, but that's, that's something that, that I, that I kind it's of a shackle yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as a parent, maybe it is, but I think, yeah, I, I, that was something that I kind of have come come to realize over the, the past few years it's like yeah that's that's how it is <laughs> all right that, and that and that concludes the parent corner of <laughs> right <laughs> right <laughs> I, switching yeah. gears <laughs> yeah. griffin what are some of your favorite golf smells oh my gosh today this tree i don't know if any of you know what it is but it's a springtime tree that blooms it's got these little tiny flowers on it that almost look like cherry blossoms or something. I don't know if it's like a type of pear tree. It has the sweetest, freshest smell that only happens for like a week Mm. in spring. And every time it happens, some of them look like this, but they don't all give off this fragrance, but it is one of the best smells ever invented in the universe. Wow. It only happens in springtime. It's just the freshest smell on planet earth i love it and i i know that i've looked this tree up before and i i love and it. this was on um, the golf course today this tree yeah it was there wow that's so cool i love that blooming right for Perfect. your birthday and i'm the guy that will like stop and like sniff the tree and they're like yeah oh yeah. yeah good yeah, I love griffin that. yes griffin he's hugging the tree and now he's stopping and literally smelling the roses yeah. <laughs> you know what you that's turn around awesome. and be like you should try it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. You don't know what you're missing. Right. Yeah, I know. I'm already not listening to music out here. I got to satiate my <laughs> other senses. <laughs> yeah. <that's fair. laughs> we, only, we only got one week. 
Right. <laughs> oh man. You um you've been playing for a long time. I'm sure you've had your share of moments on the course. Maybe you know that weren't so glamorous. Um uh, but I'm sure there were times that gave you joy that made you happy and maybe made you laugh. So I want to know what is that one time on the course that you have laughed the absolute hardest? I thought you were going to ask me like my worst behavior on the golf course. So I was conjuring up all the memories. <laughs> I mean, nah, we like to preserve our guest's image. Yeah. On the- <laughs> I, I, well, I was going to say maybe the, maybe yeah. those two could, could, this is a PR opportunity, yeah. <laughs> not, a, not a slander yeah. show. Well, I was going to say maybe those two, those <laughs> two things could coincide, you know, your worst behavior and the, the hardest you've laughed. I True. Mean, you never, right. You never know. I, I feel like almost oftentimes they kind of coalesce. <laughs> right. Yeah. They, <laughs> they have for me at the least. The one I laugh the most, I think is when I, I used to hang out at the golf course as a kid, you know, at like 10 or not, you know, 10, 12 years old, maybe 13. And all the bag boys in the, that cleaned the clubs and brought all the bags out for all the members and everything. They were like 17 or 18 or sometimes in, in college. And I'd ended up being friends with them, even though I was really young, cause I was there all day. And there was this one time when it was the course was closing down and all the bag boys were down at the driving range, like picking the range, getting all the balls cleaned up. And they got into this like war where they parked the cars like on opposite ends and then they started hitting balls at each other as hard as they could. (laughs) And we were like diving behind the golf carts and we were yelling obscenities at one another and just screaming like we were in a childhood like uh, Lord of the Flies movie <laughs> and yelling every profanity you can think of. And this guy, Mr. Wildman, comes marching across the driving range and he goes, I have guests here and you are embarrassing. You're an embarrassment to this entire community. You're fired. You're fired. You're fired. I'm calling your father. Whoa, we just shook hands to the village. So I was laughing pretty hard until Mr. Wildman walked up at that moment and then. I thought I was in the worst trouble. I mean, I wanted to just kill myself. I was like, my dad is going to freaking kill me. I'm, I'm in so much trouble. I couldn't sleep that night. And um, but my laughter turned to tears pretty damn quick. Oh, man. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's the one time. Because I can't really remember laughing on a golf. The only, I mean, uh, that was the most mischievous thing I can think of. I don't do much laughing. I did a lot of. That answer tension. is perfect. Yeah, that's that great. Was, what a roller coaster of emotions, yeah, too. Was, uh, wow. There is, I mean, there are a few feelings like acknowledgement of impending punishment as oh, a child. Yeah. Mm, you know, like you don't really get that so much as an adult. You really least, like, don't, bro. Not the same way. You know, when Crazy. it's like, oh, I know that I did something bad and I'm going to get it. Like that, <laughs> the calm before the storm with that shit is so intense. Yeah. Oh, so pal- intense. Palpable. Yeah. Oh man, I got spankings too. So like a lot of them when I was little. So I mm. was just always very fearful of the fatherly wrath. That feeling is ingrained in us. Oh. <laughs> that yeah, feeling yeah. is ingrained in us. That impending. I know my. <laughs> I know my booty about to be raw tonight. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, no, totally. Like I yeah, I accidentally ran a stop sign once and I got a little like butt tingle because I was oh, like, yes. oh, it's coming. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> They're gonna lock me away, throw in a key. <laughs> oh, oh wow. Um all right, let's say let's say you won your your childhood uh city championship that you uh that you got to play in. And they have a, a dinner prepared, and you get to choose the menu. What is going to be on Griffin's menu for your champion's dinner? When I was a kid? Or now. Keep um, in mind, Mr. Wildman is sitting right next to you. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mr. Wildman. Um, well, my grandmother was a fantastic cook, and she made many many good dishes but she she really made an amazing um fried chicken and she made these green beans 
that I just loved here. I made this other thing called uh, beef pe- pepper steak. So I would have left those two things up to her. But if my grandmother, who I called Gami, would, would make either a beef pepper mm. steak or her fried chicken with the green beans mm. and mashed potatoes, that would be enough for me for the champions. Hell yeah, we pulling up. Hell yeah. We're yeah, starving. for sure. <laughs> Griffin, where did you grow up? Springfield, Ohio. Okay. And what did you say you called your grandmother? Gummy? Gummy. Uh, like, she didn't want to be called grandma because she thought it made her feel, feel old. So I made up these words, uh, Gummy, G-O-M-M-Y, and I called my grandfather Gog or Goggy, G-O-G-G-Y. I love Yo. those. Yeah, that's great. Yo, I'm, I'm here for grandparent names. Same. I love, yeah. I love how versatile grandparent names are. Mm-hmm. They're pretty yeah. good. They're so good. It's my, such a choose your own adventure. It is. And, and I always have respect for my my mom's parents because not only did me and my sister and my cousins all call those two humans mom and dad, they made their friends call them mom and dad. <laughs> oh, wow. They're, like, they're everyone's mom and dad. Yes. Everybody's mm. mom and dad. I yeah. love that. And, and it was it was specifically for that reason, like, she was like, Grandma makes me feel old, so just call me mom. Hey, I lo- but super I- cool. Yo, that's fire. Yeah, I'm 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 Gom Gami and Gog. Those are pretty great. That's solid. I like that's solid. I like those a lot. Yeah, I love that should be you know, we might have to add that to our meat and potatoes questions. What did you call your grandparents? Mm. Oh <laughs> and and if they're just like grandma and grandpa were like, meh, next. Next. Yeah, you're out. Yeah, <laughs> we thought this we was gonna be that great, one out. We thought this was gonna be a conversation, yeah. but I, I guess you got you, you have to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, Griffin, I know you don't take music on the golf course, but it, it envisage you uh, you need to choose a walk up song for for a tournament that you're about to play to get everybody fired up. Imagine you're playing in the Ryder Cup mm. for the United States, and um, you know, first tee's going crazy. What's your walk-up music? What's that song that's going to get you fired up? I mean, it's going to have to be some kind of ACDC, probably Thunderstruck. Whoa. There you go. Either that or... Come on, come on, love me for the money. Come on, come on, let me hear the money talk. That's a good one, too. That's great. (laughs) To go a layer deeper, what's, uh, what's, what's the sound of Griffin? I know, like asking a musician you're probably like my music but like if you know what what is the sound that is in you inside of you like what what feels like a nostalgic sound for you i don't play anything like those two songs that i just referenced but i have that sort of electricity running through my body Mm. often and um i don't know i don't really make music like that i'm more of a folky songwriter but um I, uh, I I was also thinking about this song. You should listen to it after the podcast. It's called Cup of Fulfillment. And it starts with some bagpipes, which is kind of nice for the golf world. But it's also based on a poem written by this man, uh, Peter Beams, who was um, a friend. He's a friend of mine. And he used to be Gary Player's swing coach. And he played professional golf for a long time. And he, he's an artist and a poet and just a, a neat guy that works with a company called Link Soul. Um, and teaches lessons out of, out of a course called uh, Goat Hill. Mm-hmm. And he's a friend of mine, and he sent me this poem one day called Cup of Fulfillment, and I made a song out of it. And it starts with some bagpipes, and it, it always makes me think of um, just being out of the link somewhere um, in Ireland and, and playing golf with him and being in touch with the roots of golf <laughs> and music. Somewhere. I like that and a so, lot. Peter about beams, to come, come on the pod, right? <laughs> He's fascinating. What would you say is your mortal wound or your Achilles heel? Beer. It's <laughs> <laughs> so obvious. Fair. I mean, it's like sort of like I don't know. I I haven't thought about that. That's probably what my wife would say it was. Um, <laughs> I mean, we we've had cinnamon buns as an answer, so yeah, that's true. True. Could probably be that for me. I have a 
little bit of a weakness. There. Let's unpack could it. You, what, 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 could, could you imagine if we had two cinnamon buns? Right. Two cinnamon rolls. <laughs> two cinnamon rolls, like completely separate. The oh, official right. confection of group golf therapy. <laughs> the cinnamon <laughs> buns. Cinnabon. Sponsor the pod. Cinnabon. Sponsor the pod. Sometimes I eat 12 cinnamon rolls in one sitting. Oh. Mm. <laughs> That sounds so good. So, uh, so, so tight. What's your what's your vice? You know, in the beer world, just don't binge. Enjoy yourself, but enjoy responsibly. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I've spent a large. I've, I've spent a large time in my life not drinking at all, and uh, being a being a touring musician. Um, that was something that I was able to do like every night if I wanted to, when I was like 23, 24, 25 and, and just turn into a complete maniac on the road and, and not have really that many consequences. Cause I usually had a driver and, um, but yeah, so I've, I've had to grapple with that in my life, especially once I start to have a family and, and, uh, you know, try to be more responsible and not be a, not be a, uh, cliche casualty of the music business <laughs> so, totally but i had it's sort of like in my it's embedded in my mm. dna and culture mm. in a way so it's something that always sort of calls out to me a little bit and mm. i have to i have to figure out how to make peace with that mm. well from the time we spent with you i think you've done a fine job <laughs> <laughs> agree agree yeah, well, uh, well, yeah. Thank you for uh, for spending your your birthday evening with us tonight, Griffin. Uh, we really appreciated, you know, getting Truly, get, what well, an yeah, honor. getting to know you. It's an honor to be honored, you guys, man. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, I always like when I can talk about golf and music in the same conversation and have it make sense in a way that comes together. So, and, uh, pleasure being with you, gentlemen, this evening too. Absolutely. Yeah, appreciate your Griffin. Yeah.